Uh, Father, we come here just to learn your ways, to know your heart, to be conformed to Christ, to be filled with your Holy Spirit, to worship you zealously. So uh, give us your Holy Spirit to enact in us now, Lord, all those things through Jesus Christ. Amen. So uh, I changed my title a little bit from whatever you guys have in the bulletin. Uh, so it should be something like sluggard, slothfulness, the economy, and Christian community, which are like three ideas. It's also on the board. Slothfulness, economy, and Christian community. That's a great one. So that's what we're talking about this morning. Uh, so I've been told that not everybody believes this or thinks this way, uh, especially some of the other teachers we have. But I take the 930 with a little bit of license to just talk about what kind of we need specifically in our community, uh, and more like life application. Um, I don't want to say less gospel-centered because you can't apply things without the gospel, without grace, without the Holy Spirit. Uh, but it might sometimes it might come across that way if we're always doing life application or things that uh, you know might be character building or something. Um, but I think the 930 is more geared towards that. Um, doesn't have to be that way, but that's why I take a little bit of license and. And so I'm going to just talk for uh, this morning about some of the things I've been reading, how that applies to our community, uh, and how that could be useful. And so uh, specifically, I've been learning, reading, um, uh, going through the Proverbs about the sluggard or the slothful or the lazy man. Uh, I've been reading, I just, well, I didn't read, I listened to Tithing and Dominion by Rush Dooney, which... Seems like it's a longer than it actually is. I looked at it this morning of a physical copy, and it's only like that thick. But I've been listening to it for like four weeks. I don't know how that works. Uh, uh, he's he's from Ireland. <laughs> he's from Ireland, so there's a really heavy accent, and he is a little slower, or he speaks a little slower. Um, and then God's sovereignty. When I was, I think we were in Myrtle Beach, and we were at a Christian thrift store. Uh, or a more, it might have been, no, I think it was the Salvation Army. It was a Christian thrift store. It was a Salvation Army, and they had like a free pile. And we picked up a book that, uh, that I'm reading through, and I'm, on, I'm only reading two pages a day, so it's going, a little, it's going slower than the listening. Uh, no, <laughs> I didn't say that we only pick up the free items. I happened to be there. They had free items, and I picked some up. And we bought, uh, we bought some things, I believe, if, I, if my <laughs> memory recollects me. But that's part of the economy. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, that'll be important. Uh, but it's a book called God is at Work by Ken uh, Eldred, uh, Transforming Nations and, and uh, People Through Business. And I didn't really have any background of whether it was going to be a good book or a bad book. I just wanted to, I just grabbed it and I decided to read it. And apparently it is pretty popular. Um, you could, it was free, but you can buy it on Amazon for $21.99. <laughs> I wouldn't, but, but you could. Uh, and it seems to be pretty good about just the ideas of, of business, of a, a large mission strategy being uh, starting businesses opposed to going in and doing the, <clears throat> what we've done in the modern missions movement is just send people to, to, to just be pietistic. And so... Uh, starting with the Proverbs about the sluggard, largely the Proverbs are just about like observations, right? Um, and so one example of that with the sluggard is Proverbs 6, 6. He says, go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. 
And so a lot of the Proverbs, what I like about the Proverbs is they're like, they're really simple, they're really straight to the point, and like you don't have to think deeply about it, but you do have to think a little bit about it. And so when it says, go to the ants, O sluggard, it's like there's this thing that God has built into creation and the creation order that he intended to teach us, but we didn't quite, we might not have gotten it. I, I didn't necessarily like got down, you know, and looked at an ant hill and been like, wow, these people are like really diligent and these ants are really diligent. They're building, they don't need a king. They don't need, like they just continue to work, work, work. Uh, we, uh, our, our house was built in 1885 and so we constantly have various animals in our house, uh, ants being one of those. And so we just had, a, had to deal with some ants and it's like, they're busy at night. They'll, you can open up the cupboard where the sugar is, and they're busy in the middle of the night. They're busy in the morning. They're always working, right? But that's not my first thought. I was like, wow, these people, these ants are really diligent. Uh, so there was something built into the creation order that we could have gotten, but we, for whatever reason, we didn't. And so God had to give us you know, special revelation to show us. And so we've kind of lost the art of observation and just sitting back and looking at things in our, like, get-it-now culture, right? Like, if I want something, I can just, uh, I do this quite frequently where I need something for work or I need a tool or I need a material. Like, I could drive to Home Depot and that takes 15 minutes to drive there and I could go to the store and it takes, you know, uh, another 15 minutes in the store and then 15 minutes home. I'm at 45 minutes and I don't necessarily have the 45 minutes and I'm not going to use it now. I'm going to use it on Wednesday and so I'll just order it and it'll be at my house and those are great tools but I can get everything I want kind of now without wasting time and I don't have to go and and trudge through the store and and do all sorts of things but we've kind of lost that in our like in our instant culture right and so but when the Proverbs say, consider her ways and be wise, like that takes time. That takes sitting down at an anthill, uh, <laughs> looking at it. What are they doing? Uh, one of the, I have quite frequently until recently read that proverb, and I was like, oh, that's just like a way to, like this is a very astute observation. Uh, I like that. But think about it as like, what if you're a, a, a mother with a teenage son and he's got a very messy room and you've asked him several times to clean his room and he doesn't and the mother drags him outside and says, look at the ants, just look at them. They don't need anyone to clean their room. They don't need anyone to tell them. They just do it, right? It's a little, uh, it's a little offensive to say, go to the ant, observe their ways and imitate them, right? It could, or it could come across as a little sharp. And so uh, until recently, I think I've kind of been missing that where I'm like, oh, that's just a very astute observation. But it's kind of like, it's kind of a, a, a putting someone down like, hey, go look at the ant, you sluggard. <laughs> they don't need nothing. Uh, they don't need any direction. They don't need anyone to tell them what to do. They just, they just do it. And so uh, uh, some of those are meant to be really, really sharp and, and kind of in your face. And so I kind of like to observe things. I like to sit back and just watch people. We have like, you know, some people like to people watch, right? We, that's about the extent of our cultural observations that we do, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, in a more agrarian culture, we would have to have a lifestyle of more observation and, and sitting down and less instant and... And, but, you know, so 
we've kind of lost that in our culture, but uh, I like to observe people. I like to observe people, uh, or I observe people at their worst. And a lot of the proverbs on the sluggard and the fool are that, are just looking at people at a, in a bad station of life and um, in a bad position or, or have bad character traits. And you're supposed to observe those people, even those people, and, uh, and learn something. And so to be clear, I don't enjoy observing people at their worst. That's not what I said. I said, I observe people and I like it. <laughs> I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy seeing people at their worst. And so you can actually learn a lot by doing that. And so uh, Yogi Berra, he was a, uh, Logan's not here, but he was a New York, New York Yankees uh, catcher. He's the one, if you've ever heard it, it ain't over till it's over. Yogi Berra is the one that popularized that. But uh, he once wrote a book uh, that said you could observe a lot by watching. You could, you could observe a lot by watching. And so many of the Proverbs kind of share that same sentiment, is you can just observe a lot by watching. And so in our culture, we live in the ghetto. Most of us live in the ghetto. This is where our church is less ghetto than where most of us live. Uh, and so I observe a lot of vagrants. We have people with shopping carts coming up and down our street, scrapping for metal and... Uh, on one end, we got you know people who regularly sit there with, with signs and stuff, and so uh, we kind of we just live in a culture uh, in our neighborhood where we view people with a very low quality of life and almost regularly, and so particularly I think there can, seems to be a common thread that disassociates the quality of life with money, money with work, work with discipline, discipline with character, and character with your destiny. And so, uh, if you hear me talking about the vagrants, and you're like, oh man, Stephen's such a Pharisee, he's so self-righteous. Uh, you've been trained pretty well in our kind of evangelical pietism, and so there's many proverbs that say exactly that, is go and view some of these people, or they view these people in their worst station of life, uh, or hopefully it doesn't get worse. And, and you're supposed to observe and learn. Right, and so I often think, you know, uh, you can go to any exit in Dayton and see somebody holding a sign that says they're homeless and they need help. Right, and I'm not saying that they're not homeless and that they don't need help. We're just observing uh, their station in life. And so I often think, just like, how do they end up like this? And a lot of times I think, like, I don't want to end up like this. And even more so, I think, like, well, I hope so and so in our community doesn't end up like this. Right, and so. That's just a common experience shared by uh, the writer of Proverbs. If, if you look at Proverbs 24, 30 through 34, again about the sluggard, it says, I passed by the field of the sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, and the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it, right? He saw this. He saw somebody, uh, who, a man who doesn't lack sense. He's saying, seeing all these things that have gone undone. And then he saw and considered it. He thought about it. He looked and he received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber uh, and want like an unarmed man. So, like an armed man. Yes, thank you. Not like an unarmed man. He has arms and he bears arms. <laughs> Can't bear arms without arms. It's very difficult. 
And so I'm not saying we should look down on people. I'm not saying, I'm not advocating for any of that, of course. I'm saying we should observe and consider. And so I don't want to, I don't want to look down on, uh, on vagrants or, or anything and, and scoff, but I just want to observe and consider. And so to give a little example of in another context of how we observe people and we consider their ways and we, and we get wisdom from it, uh, uh, I would find it a very glorious thing, a very normal thing, and I would appreciate it if my wife went to like Walmart in the middle of the day. And if you go to Walmart in the middle of the day, you can find all types of women with their shower caps on and pajamas, wearing slippers. And I wouldn't feel any problem with my wife saying in her heart, wow, I wonder how this person ended up like this. <laughs> I don't want to end up like that. I'd be like, okay, that's fine. You can't look down, you can't scoff, you can't uh, treat them any differently, but it's okay to observe them and say, I don't want to end up like that. I wouldn't want my wife walking around in her pajamas in the middle of the day at Walmart. And so uh, the only real distinction I want to make clear is that you can determine a person's lot in life, consider it, get wisdom without scoffing at them, without looking down on them, and without treating them uh, unfairly and while simultaneously having compassion on them. Right? The Bible in, in that uh, excerpt from Proverbs about the sluggard, it's not that he doesn't have compassion on the person, it's just saying he's considering their lot in life and he's, and he's getting wisdom on how he ought to act. And so uh, the Bible is actually constantly telling us to imitate one direction or another. Um, Ephesians 5.1, we're called to imitate God as dearly beloved children, right, and walking in love. And we're warned in Proverbs 12, 1, not to imitate the world. And so throughout the Proverbs, particularly, we're assumed to imitate uh, the wise, the righteous, the just, the diligent, and not to imitate the wicked, scoffers, evil, and slothful. And it gives you examples all the time. And so especially in Hebrews 13, 7, tells us to consider those who spoke the word of God to us, consider their outcome, and imitate their faith. And so imitation in itself is, it takes a little bit of wisdom, but um, if I was going to, uh, let's say, if I wanted to learn carpentry, I would learn from a carpenter and I would imitate how he works with his tools and I would imitate maybe how he cleans up his shop and, and things. And I wouldn't necessarily care how to imitate how he treats his wife. That wouldn't help me in my carpentry business or, or learning carpentry skills. Um, unless, no, never mind, never mind, it won't help, it won't help at all, uh, but, right, so that, that, uh, how he treats his wife is disassociated with how he, how he, uh, how he works, and so, but slothfulness and being a sluggard, there's, it normally works itself out in, in real life, in a vocation where you're making money, and, and you're going to work, that's n- the, the most, um, Forward example of, of someone who's lazy or, or slothful is how it comes out in their, in their actual vocation. But uh, we'll consider some Proverbs here in a minute, but it's not limited to that. That's a, it's a character trait. And so uh, usually imitation provides us some form of safety uh, in, in, how we, in how we imitate. And it's usually a good place to start. And so, just like in, if I wanted to learn how to be a carpenter or work with wood, if I just imitate what a good carpenter is doing, I'm on, I'm on a pretty safe path. He's shown fruit. He, he makes good furniture or whatever. 
and I can feel pretty safe as, as a starting point doing that, right? Um, and it usually doesn't take much insight to start imitating. It usually doesn't take a lot of insight to uh, say, well, this guy has, this guy's really good at woodworking. If I just do what he does, I can probably get there. Um, it doesn't take a lot of insight. It does take a little bit of insight to know I want to imitate his, his woodworking and not how he treats his wife or how he manages his money or anything anything else apart from what I'm trying to imitate. And so character is much harder to imitate because it touches kind of every area of life. When your character or who you are uh, and like uh, someone who's a sluggard is usually not just lazy at work, but they're lazy at home, they're lazy uh, with their kids, they're lazy with their wife or, or spouse, they're lazy uh, in, in every area. And so character kind of touches every area of life. And so it's most visibly notable at work. Um, and it's a lot harder to see in men, particularly, because men are more geared towards work, towards labor, towards making money. And so uh, a common thread just in American culture, and really this is just all of humanity, uh, is that men will have an a easy time going to work, working hard, getting respected, and then come home and be lazy. Because... I'm not lazy, I work hard, I go to work, I work from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., and my boss likes me, because I work hard. Uh, and then they come home, and they just need some free time, and they don't want to play with the kids, and they don't want to help without around the house, and they want to do this because cause they're sluckers. Um, and, uh, and that's just the way it is. If, if uh, a, a, a sluggard is one who's, who's generally lazy in, in every area, but men, it's particularly a bit harder to find to see just because we're more geared towards work. Um, so sluggard, the synonyms are lazy, idle. It's essentially that you're not doing anything. It's the idea of they're just like sitting around. They're not doing anything. And so I, I struggle with, and it happens with, I think a lot of guys is you get off work, you come home, and you just need some time to unwind. But uh, I need some time to like decompress, right? And that's not really the way it should be. You might need to take five minutes in your car or something, but when you... The point of work is to go to work, make money so that you can pay your bills, you can provide your family with an income, and then your real work starts when you get home. Your, your second job starts when you get home, right? And so uh, most of the Proverbs we'll look at, we'll look at a few here, uh, most of when you read through the Proverbs, it, it mostly talks about the sluggard or the slothful or, or lazy man and how it works out in their vocation, but it touches, it goes beyond that. And so consider Proverbs 13.4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. The soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And so if you think about that invocation like we normally would, they'd be like, man, I really want to make more money. I really want to do this because if I get more money, I could take my kids to the amusement park or something. And then you're just like sitting there thinking about it and you're like, you refuse to work. Right? The, the desires that they have don't produce anything in them because they're not going to take a step forward. Uh, but think about that in, I want like well-behaved children or I want to uh, I want to have a, a family atmosphere where we worship the Lord and where we have family devotions. And But then the sluggard would just sit there, not do anything, be idle, and continue to want that without any work being done. Right? Uh, the soul of the sluggard could crave very, very good things like a house that worships the Lord, or they want to learn uh, a musical instrument or something and learn how to play 
uh, so they can lead their family in worship, and then they continue to have that desire, and they get nothing because they don't make any progress because it takes diligence, right? Uh, also consider Proverbs twenty-one twenty-five: The desire of the sluggard kills him, first hands refuse to labor. Same, um, same sentiment there as in Proverbs thirteen four that it, it eats away at them. It, so it starts to you know tear them apart because they really want something, but they refuse to take any steps forward. And so, um, you can that doesn't just apply to work. That applies and making money. That applies to every area of life. If you desire something and don't make any steps forward, then your desires will just keep eating away at you. All right. Let's consider the next one, Proverbs 15, 19. The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Notice how here in this couplet, the, the, uh, the writer is, is pitting against being a sluggard and being upright. It's not, it's not diligence anymore. It's the one who is upright, the one who is righteous versus the sluggard. Right? Um, and their way is very hard for them. It's like a hedge of thorns. It's like always like... Has anybody ever fallen into a hedge of thorns or gone hiking and through it? It's not fun. Not fun. Uh, we just recently picked at, over the summer at my brother's house in northern Indiana blackberries, and apparently they grow on thorns. And if you want the good ones, they're deep in there. <laughs> or if you want, because their kids, you know, kids just eat the ones, because they're wild, they eat the ones on the outside, so you have to reach your hands to harvest them. You've got to reach your hands in there. Right? It's a... Uh, it's hard. It, it hurts, and it, it hurts them, right? But the upright, it's like a, it gets easier. It's a level highway. And so lastly, Proverbs uh, 12, 24, we'll consider this one. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. And so uh, pitting against this one, just diligence and slothful. Um, in, in vocation, you would normally think of that as someone being a leader, a manager, someone in charge, an owner, uh, someone who rules. Uh, quite frankly, anybody who, who gets into a position of authority is probably pretty diligent because they're just getting stuff done. Um, while the slothful, they just get, I got to go to work, I got to make money, so I'll just get a job and, and do whatever I got to do to make the minimum requirements to, to live. Right? That's kind of the soul of the, of the slothful. And so uh, what I want to kind of consider is as we become, in our in our um, Christian community and GCF of not just cultivating the character of diligence, but how does that work out, especially in vocations and in our economy? And so, and on the title, when it says the economy, I don't mean like the American economy. I mean our economy, because there's a lot of money floating around in between us, in between you know our different members. And so we build a micro economy here. And that would be natural, right? Because as we grow in vocation, we grow in character, you grow in, if you take what I said about quality of life being related to money, money being related to work, work being related to diligence, diligence being related to character, character being your destiny. Uh, if you go backwards in that as a community, if our destiny is, is not destiny and like it's already set before us and we just have to believe in it. I mean like where we're going, what the Lord has for us, would be in uh, uh, a political, outside of our church, societal influence. That's what we want, right? We want to influence uh, the, the people who live back here. We want to influence all of Dayton. We want to influence uh, the city as a whole. And so uh, that starts 
you know, with us. That I'm not talking about our broader economy. I'm talking about our economy. And so what happens as, as we grow, as we have a, a, a view that we should be salt and light to the world, and we're trying to, you know, work that out in our own kind of sphere of, of where, where, where do we have influence and what can we do, um, what happens is we grow in character, we grow in diligence, we grow in, in vocation. That means we make more money. That it almost always translates down that way. And so usually, just as a church, our quality of life gets, gets better. Um, and meaning, so uh, just because I've only got 40 minutes, just take this for what it is. Uh, the Bible talks way more about the, uh, the, the, the desire to be rich as, you know, as, as an evil that can ensnare, ensnare you. And John 1 talks about there's like three main evils to watch out for, and that's uh, you know, girls or guys, gold and glory. And so money's a, a huge pitfall for people. And so don't take this as, I just want everyone to get rich. And that's not our salvation. Um, but what we should be doing is as we grow, we are going to naturally increase our, like everyone here is going to increase in vocation, which means they're going to make more money, which going to means we're going to have more resources. And how that means in our, in our economy is that, that we're going to start Christian businesses. We're going to start, uh, we have a hope, we have a foundation of starting a Christian school in, or at least a homeschool co-op. And we'll have at least like some babies ready for that in five to eight years, <laughs> you know, or more. And, and, and so if you follow um, the principle of what we call the seven inevitable institutions of every society, it's a little pyramid. The, the foundation is the self. And then a smaller block on top of that is the family. And then you get to the church is a little bit smaller block. And then the next one is education. And the next one on top of that is, is business or the economy. And so as everybody increases in character, that means their families will get healthier. And as their families get healthier, we'll have a healthy, healthier church. We can't have a healthy church without healthy families. Um, and then as those grow, the next thing that would be uh, in, in influencing society or our society growing would be education or, or you know, building a school or some type of more um, intentional education for everybody. Uh, and then the economy is affected. We have, we have businesses, we have people in here who own businesses, who run businesses, and it would be natural for us to kind of uh, or it is it becomes natural for us to kind of keep our money in ourselves, right? Um, that's why we have in America, we love things that are built in America because <laughs> it keeps our money here. Uh, and that goes for every nation, I guess. Um, and, and so that's just kind of a natural outworking. It doesn't mean we have to keep our money here. It doesn't mean we have to because this brother is a brother in the church and he does this job and I need that job done and I need to pay somebody that I have to go to him. It doesn't mean that we have to. It just means that it naturally, naturally happens. And so uh, as we build an economy, it's, it's, it's come clear to me that we have a lot of money being changed around. There's, we've got piano teachers. We've got several piano teachers. We've got people teaching other things. We've got real estate. We've got uh, tutors. We have like a lot of stuff going on. And so... Um, what we should have is at least a biblical foundation of how to work in an economy.
if, you're, if you don't like inflation, I'm assuming everybody doesn't like inflation, unless you're uber rich and can beat it, then I think that's just about everybody does not like inflation going on. Um, and so we're not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't go run out and try to fight inflation right now. What we should do is have a healthy economy in our own church. And when we understand God's laws and God's ways, then uh, that'll be more evident. And so when the economy comes crashing down or has a recession, uh, our economy won't necessarily be hit as hard because we've been working by biblical principles. And, and the Lord blesses uh, diligent labor, right? That's why uh, the Lord's Day is so important because I'd rather have, I could work another day and I can go to work and I can get more work done, but it's not going to be blessed work. It's not necessarily going to be blessed work. I'd rather have the Lord bless me for six days of honest labor than seven days, than not being blessed for seven days. You'll get farther with, with six than you will with seven. Uh, the same principle goes for the tithe and, and many other things in Scripture. And so, just some kind of foundations for um, as we grow and as hopefully everybody grows vocationally, that's, that's one of the first things, um, especially with young men. I don't work with young women, so I just, unless, unless they're my daughter. Uh, and so I don't know what the young women work with, other women with. But with young men, one of the first things we, that I like to try to do is try to get them focused on reality. And it's like, okay, we're like in the direction in life and, um, and where they're going. And that easily, most easily plays out in the economy of, you need money to buy food, you need money to live someplace, you need money to, to do just about everything. And how are you going to do that? How's that going to play out? And it kind of puts you in reality. And if you don't have a budget, then it's very hard to live in reality in any real sense. Right? And so uh, how you handle money, how you work, how you interact and, and exchange money between especially other brothers and sisters in Christ is really important. Um, and so I know some of us, well, I'd say just about every one of us is on the giving and receiving end of that. And so um, just some kind of uh, maybe some parameters to think about. Uh, number one is to, to understand biblical law in how to live in a community where money is being exchanged. I particularly like to, uh, I, I can't remember exactly where it's at, but in, it's got to be in Leviticus where it pits a, you can either borrow something, like if you're borrowing someone's lawnmower and it breaks, you're obligated to get it fixed or pay for it because they were giving it to you as a gift uh, to let you borrow. It broke on your watch. And so according to the Bible, you're obligated to get it fixed. That's why I like to pay people. If I'm going to borrow your lawnmower, I'll give you 10 bucks because if it breaks, <laughs> I'm cheap. And then I'm not obligated to get it fixed. Now, uh, now if that happens, I could, I could say, you know, hey, your lawnmower broke. Uh, I'm sorry. You know, uh, I, I, would, I could extend grace, even though I, I paid you the $10 to borrow your lawnmower. I could extend grace and say, I'll pay to get it fixed, but that's an extension of grace. But then the other, whoever I borrowed from would say, oh, no, no, that was an old piece of junk anyways. I, I knew it was breaking down. You don't have to. And they can extend more grace and say, no, I don't need to receive any money. Right? And so you kind of have to, come with the assumptions of biblical law, which are all about how to operate in society. And so it'd be well for everyone to kind of research those. Um, the, another one would be 
especially if there's any business transactions or if there's any uh, money being exchanged communication or contracts or, or something to where it's like, it's on the table, everybody knows, right? If you look at, uh, or if you go through the uh, complaint Paul has, the valid complaint Paul has in 1 Corinthians 6, where it says, like, the first complaint, he's like, well, first take care of this guy that's sleeping with his stepmother, kick him out of the church, why are you guys allowing this? Uh, and then the second complaint, you're like, wow, that one's really egregious. That's pretty bad. The second complaint is, you guys are taking things to the pagan courts that you should have been able to handle. <laughs> That's the second biggest complaint Paul has. And it's like, and then you're getting drunk at church. And that's like the third complaint. And so if you were to take that in a, in a priority level, that's like complaints against one another and not being able to handle disputes would be uh, right under sexual immorality. And so... Um, if you look at that, what Paul's saying, he's not saying that you can't go to the, the civil authorities and um, that they can't dispute things. They certainly could, but it would be, uh, in a lot of situations, bad or bad view on the church of, to do that, right? Is there not anyone that can handle that within the church? And so if I brought a complaint to the elders that, like, this person didn't pay me, and I hope the first thing would be the elders would say is, like, oh, like, what was the agreement? What did you guys agree on? And that person says, like, well, they said 60. I was like, no, I said, I said he was going to pay 70. Okay, well, there's only one witness on each side. Do you guys, did you guys write anything down? Are there any text messages? Is there any communication? And we're like, uh, no. It was just a handshake we had two years ago. <laughs> like, oh, it's two years ago, right? And so communication is key, is in what are you, uh, what are you explaining? What do you need, right? If I hired someone to come hang new cabinets, and I forgot to tell them that I wanted walnut wood instead of oak, and they hung up oak uh, cabinets, and I was like, oh, I wanted walnut. <laughs> well, sorry, you miscommunicated. <laughs> uh, you didn't, right? You got to pay for the, that's not their fault. That, that'd be my fault. And so communication is key. Uh, handshake agreements I love in, in theory, but communication should be clear. Written down is always the best way. And so, uh, and so when we do business with people, we would expect our, you know, our economy to grow and, and should be influential. Uh, what we don't want to do is expect business from people, right? Like I don't need to expect uh, business from someone because they're a brother or sister. And, it would, uh, and if they do bad work, that doesn't mean we have to keep using them, right? Uh, it does mean that we have to be honest with them and say, hey, uh, you know, pay them for their work or whatever they did. And it doesn't mean we have to continue to use them just because they're in the church and they do bad work. But uh, it's not necessarily slander against them to, you know, if, if uh, uh, I paid someone to, to shovel my sidewalk and they shoveled my neighbor's sidewalk. And I was like, that's not the right sidewalk. And then, you know, someone else asked me for suggestion, would you use this guy to shovel your sidewalk. And I was like, no, every time I pay him to shovel my sidewalk, he shovels my neighbor's sidewalk. And I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and which one? Which parable? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Uh, well, I could have paid them to do it too. <laughs> but, uh, but anyways... Right, it's not slander to to tell someone that you know I'm not going to hire you anymore because I I don't really like your work or uh, or you know I expected something different or or I, the, expect, the expectations were this but they didn't come back you know matched 
or to tell other people that, like, you know, this person doesn't do that great of a job, you might want to uh, watch out. But uh, you would have to be clear with that person first and go to that person and let them know, right? You would have to tell them that, like, hey, I don't, you know, uh, you know, I expected this or I kind of wanted this. You know, maybe I didn't make it clear. And, and uh, it, you would have to tell, it, to be an honest brother or sister in Christ, you would have to tell that person what they missed or what they did to and hopefully, you know, increase, you know, what they're doing. And so, so that they don't either make the same mistake or... Um, you know, or they can have a chance to, to grow out of that. And so, and then uh, maybe another principle to follow is, you know, when you're exchanging, uh, when there's money being exchanged, is to always pay on time. And so that's a big one of, I actually, we're, I think every Christian should be a person who pays all their bills on time, but uh, I've got so many things on all to pay, and if it gets skipped, and if my DPNL gets shut off because I didn't pay, I'm much less concerned about them because they don't know I'm a Christian or and it was an honest mistake than if I didn't pay, you know, uh, a brother or a sister to do a job, right? And and it's been like three weeks, and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. My bad. Uh, I'd feel much more, you know, that's much more egregious than, you know, uh, forgetting to pay the electric company. Because uh, they're in your community. Not saying that you shouldn't pay any of your bills late, but uh, the it's so easy. Like when we when First John says that you know the 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 three major sins, like the kind of headings are, you know, glory, winning power, glory, uh, money, the entrapment of money and being wealthy, um, uh, and then yeah, and then sexual immorality. Uh, thank you. I was like, what's the third one? Uh, or, you know, the entrapment with um, the opposite sex or just sexuality is those three major headings. If you look at any marriage counseling, it's always like around those three, especially uh, sex and money. And so money is a big area of conflict between people, right? And so you want to do those dealings as honestly as possible and and reconcile as, as quickly as possible. And sometimes there's just... Uh, there's just sin, and so in that time, there's that's okay. That, I don't want to say that's okay, but then you have to take the steps of repentance and um, and forgiveness. Doesn't mean you can hold a grudge against somebody because they paid late or, or didn't do as good a job as you want. You can't do that either. You, you're still called to forgive them. Um, and so, when it comes to exchanging money, we want to make sure that we're extra diligent to treat everybody, especially in our community, as fairly as possible and, and go through the proper biblical steps because it, it's the most, it's the easiest, one of the easiest ways uh, in a church that is growing to have small little grudges against one another because there's money being exchanged and you just want to uh, do that as honestly as possible. And so um, kind of with that, like as we have, an, a, as our church grows, we're going to have an economy that grows. I hope we start Christian businesses. That might mean that we employ one another. That might mean, you know, that people come into our church that become employees. Um, and so we want to be the culture that, that God would bless, right? We want to be the culture and cultivate that. Um, and that like one of the first natural things as that's growing is the economy, and that will, that's not something that like, is a huge light to the world instantaneously. That's something that grows 
over time. And they'll, you know, and sometimes it's because the world's getting darker that we're doing the same thing and we're just shining brighter because the world's growing darker. And so uh, the simple call is for us to operate, to grow Christian businesses, to be Christian men and women in vocations that are diligent, that God would bless, and then to treat one another in the same respect of being having a biblical mindset of, of growing Christian businesses, if we're hiring one another, being honest with one another, uh, reconciling accounts, forgiving one another. And I think in that, the Lord would uh, uh, inevitably bless our, our community, and that means our economy would be blessed even more to give even more. And so whenever there's a blessing, God gives you a blessing so that you can give more. And Right. Yeah, I always communicate that and, and just be clear. And uh, miscommunications are the source of half of the problems. The other, the other, the other half is because uh, they didn't hear me right. <laughs> and so uh, let's kind of end there. My, the call is just to, you know, as we grow in our economy, as we grow in character and diligence, the Lord will bless us with money. Uh, be wary of that, especially of how we interact with our, our Christian brothers and sisters. Um, there's uh, a couple books I'll just throw out there. So that one, God is at Work uh, by Ken Eldred. Uh, I just also read through Rush Dooney's Tithing and Dominion. Um, and then I think it was David Chilton. Uh, this is more, they, these reconstructionists reach more out into like, how are we going to transform America? Um, and this wing of Reconstructionist, but I'm more worried about how can we transform our culture. And so I think it was David Chilton wrote Prosperous Christians in an Age of Guilt Manipulators. Productive Christians. Yeah, in an Age of Guilt Manipulators um, is another good book uh, to, to look at. So let's end there. Uh, let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for uh, Sunday mornings. Thank you, Lord, that we come to worship. Give us a spirit to worship you vibrantly and treat each other uh, as we ought to. Through Jesus Christ, amen.